Throughout human history, societies have grappled with fundamental questions of how to organize themselves. Government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Tech companies are actually taking over the world, and they're doing it with our government's help. But there also seems to be a growing awareness that they have become so big that they have too much power now. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and is gravely to be regarded. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. People all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. This alternative vision argues that ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs, that order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereignty. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order, and today that new world is struggling to be born, the dream of a new world order. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be the first in a little mini-series that involves my personal opinion on things related to this podcast. I want to take advantage of this time in between season two and season three and fit some things in that usually don't really fit into the normal structure that I do the seasons in, and that's where this comes into play. I'd like to do a few episodes on things like COVID-19 and investing and self-sufficiency and homesteading and these kinds of things, all related to things I have talked about before, but instead of just presenting the general milieu of how those things are, what they are, how you can be involved in them, how they affect us, these types Types of things. Instead of that, I want to just kind of give a more conversational take about my opinion on these things, how I see them, how I see them fitting in. If you are listening to this podcast, then you probably at least have somewhat of an interest in how I view things. So I'll start off this series with today's episode, and it will focus on COVID-19, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it. That will be the focus. I do have I need to address some of the things that I had said in the previous COVID special. I did a COVID special, I think a three-part series in the middle of season two that related the things happening in society since coronavirus hit to the content I was covering in parallels in season two, because when I started that, COVID had not happened yet, and none of these things had happened. So when I was talking about uh, politics becoming more regionalized and localized and big institutional non-governmental players having a bigger influence in society and global organizations and foundations having more influence and being more respected, uh, coronavirus hadn't hit yet. So you didn't have this stuff actually playing out in real time when I started that season. But since it started happening, I wanted to make sure that I tied that stuff in even though it'd be fairly obvious, obviously, I was not coming from that perspective because it just wasn't 
in existence yet. It hadn't happened. And so I was more coming from a theoretical perspective when I started season two and did all the interviews. And so it ended up being coincidental that the timing was such that as I was putting out that content, uh, these things were actually playing out in real time. So that was really interesting. But um, I also want to give an update because when I did that miniseries, it took place kind of right at the beginning of the major pandemic and the lockdowns and that kind of stuff. I don't remember. I think that was March or April or somewhere around there. And so now that it is much later, it's now October, we've been through a lot. That was many months ago and things have played out much more so than they had before. And so I'd like to give my perspective and my opinion on where things are and uh, possibly give, um, I guess, inevitably, I'll give some updates compared to what I had said before, but I didn't go back and listen to those episodes. I didn't look at my outlines. I'm kind of just going blind here. And that's kind of the point of these episodes is I want to do a few where it's just more conversational. If I had, uh, albeit a one-sided conversation, but a conversation with somebody and was talking about these different aspects and the things going on and they were asking questions about, well, what do you think about COVID-19? What do you think about the the government's response? You know, do you think it's overblown? Do you think people are overreacting? Like, what's going on? And so um, in response to those types of questions, this would be what I would say. And so that's where I want to go with this. Now, to begin with, I'll start off like I think I started off the other ones by saying that I do believe that this is a real virus, that it is actually going around and circulating, that people are really catching it. They are really dying from it. It is something that is very serious for some people. There are categories of people at risk that this is very dangerous for. And since this virus spreads a lot faster and a lot easier than the typical flu, for example, it can be more dangerous from that perspective. Now, for the younger, healthier population, this is not much more dangerous than anything else. Last time I looked the stats up for uh, children and the the range of children went all the way from zero to 10 years to zero to like 19 years, depending on who you use the World Health Organization or CDC or whoever it was that was gathering the stats. I looked at multiple different charts, multiple stats, did a lot of research. And what I found was that there had been more children who had died of influenza than had died of the coronavirus since it started. And this was probably a good five months into it. And that the fatality rate and the issues, complications, hospitalizations, these things were actually more severe coming from influenza and the flu than coming from COVID. And that tends to be the case with a lot of different age ranges that you look at. It seems like the recovery rate is 99.9 something percent, depending on the age range you look at. And that's pretty much anything under 50, I think. Uh, Some of the stats go all the way up to like 70 and under have uh, roughly that same Um, recovery rate. And that is out of the people that catch it. So it's not out of the entire population that 99.997% of the people are going to be fine. It's that out of the population that catches the virus, 
99.997. And so, yeah, it gets, um, it, it kind of seems a little ridiculous in a way that you have this thing spreading around, you know, a virus that for most everybody is just fine. But for this small population, it's a really big deal. Um, and then we lock down the entire country and uh, stop everybody from doing what they were doing and totally changed. It seems like everything in society it does seem a little crazy, I will say that. But at the same time, you do have people that are dying. And just like the flu, you have perfectly healthy young people that die from this. And since it spreads more than the flu, and it is more contagious than the flu, then obviously you're probably going to have more of those anecdotal cases, so to say, of a healthy 30-something-year-old that passed away from it. And that is bad. We do, hopefully, all of us as a society, want to prevent these things from happening in our current modern society. We want people to live long and healthy lives. We don't want them to be taken out by something like this. And if it is preventable, then we want to do something about it. And never before in history have we actually been able to do something about it like we can today. So if we had something like this happen, you know, 20 years ago or 50 years ago, look back to the Spanish flu or some of the other outbreaks that were a pretty big deal in the past in uh, fairly recent history, they didn't have the ability to work from home. They didn't have the ability to call their family members and check in on them. They didn't have the ability to go to the hospital and get on a ventilator. They, and you can argue whether that's a good idea to begin with or not, but they just didn't have the ability to do these things. They didn't have the ability to get stuff delivered right to their house and order it online without even talking to somebody or seeing somebody or touching somebody. I mean, these things just weren't possible. You couldn't lock things down. You couldn't keep people home from work. You couldn't educate your children at home at least not in the way that we can today on a mass scale. Like These things just weren't possible. And through the technological shifts that have occurred and advancements that have occurred, we now actually have the ability to do things. So if you pair together this desire to not allow people to die and to suffer from something that is preventable, we want to prevent anything that is preventable. And then we do have the ability to prevent these things to keep everybody locked up and away from each other. And obviously, if no one comes in contact with anybody else, then everyone's safe. Well, yes, to a degree, if you're just looking at a virus specifically, but there's a lot more involved than that. But that's kind of, I guess, how I'm seeing it, that it's not necessarily all nefarious. It's not necessarily that there are these huge conspiracies by all these different groups. Um, I will say there are lots of different groups. I believe there are plenty of conspiracies, and I believe that plenty of them are taking full advantage, and some may have even had influence in how this played out and the fact that it did play out. I don't know. I am very open to that, and I doubt we'll ever know that, but I do fully believe that that is a possibility. But regardless of all of that, it's just very interesting how people are responding and countries are responding to all of this kind of stuff. Another thing to mention when it comes to the idea of a lockdown, you can go all the way back to the Bush administration, and all the way back is probably not a very accurate term because for all of modern history before the Bush administration, the general consensus in the medical community was that if you had a massive pandemic, what you need to do is you take a risk profile of who is affected by this, you isolate and protect that small group, you let it circulate among the very low risk rest of the population, and once it has done so, and it should do so fairly quickly, 
then you can reintroduce the at-risk people and it's not circulating around like it was and people have built up immunity. That's the idea of herd immunity. Once vaccines were introduced, it's the exact same thing. You take people that are not at risk from the vaccine, you vaccinate the majority of the people, assuming it works on a majority of them, they build up the immunities, you have herd immunity that way, artificially, so to say, and then you are good to go and you reintroduce the at-risk people. That was always the way to do it. You build immunity among the population while you isolate and protect the people who are at risk, and then you can kind of go back to normal, so to say. And apparently, you can uh, look into the details on this. It's very easy to find. If I think about it, I'll include it in the show notes. But I usually, honestly, just don't have time to pull all the different articles I read and podcasts I listen to and all the different things. If you really want it, send me an email and I'll get it to you. I'll find it. But um, there are multiple articles I've read, multiple podcasts I've listened to that cover this subject. So it should be fairly easy to find. But basically, you had Bush, who was kind of freaked out about these pandemics that have come through in history, and there were some in recent times from his point of view, and he was worried, well, what would we do? We don't necessarily have a plan for this, and called for a study, called for some presentations. The impression that I get, at least from all the research I have done, is that there was one presentation given by kind of the standard medical community with the standard response from this general consensus among the medical community in the past and present. And they basically said exactly what I laid out, that this is how you deal with something like this. This is what we should do, that kind of stuff. Well, then there was another group who basically showed up with a lot of fancy PowerPoint presentations and charts and graphs and data analytics and all this kind of stuff. And they had the presentation given that basically said that if you keep everybody isolated from each other, then there's no way that anybody can pass this along. And if they do, through the limited contact that they have, it will be very minor. And then I guess the idea is that the virus would just die out. Um, I, I had a hard time figuring out what the end game was in that scenario that was never explained in the research I did. But basically, that was the presentation given. And so you had either the traditional herd immunity option or the lockdown option. And Bush apparently was very impressed by the presentation for the lockdown option. And that is where the whole idea of doing lockdowns really came from, at least from the perspective of what we see today and um, how that really wasn't on the table before then. And so even just the history of where lockdowns came from and that idea and that concept is a little iffy, so to say, and relatively new. And to me, it it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Personally, Uh, you're treating the at-risk people that are really at-risk the same as the rest of the population that has, you know, 0.0003% chance of actually, you know, being hospitalized and having a major issue. That just doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense to me personally. And then you have the deal like in New York and a few other places where you have had nursing homes that were required to take in COVID patients. And uh, I I will give this defense that uh, typically, apparently, um, I've talked to some nurses and people like this that are in the industry and they kind of know how these things work. And they say that that is fairly normal, that if you have a patient that is older, that needs a lot of care, then typically the hospitals will discharge those people straight to the nursing homes where they are equipped to deal with this kind of stuff and give 24-7 care. They have the specialized personnel, all this kind of stuff. And that is standard. Well, the problem, though, is that when you have an extremely contagious virus that is killing 
you know, a buttload of people that are in that age range and at that risk profile. And you just like take someone infected with this and shove it in, you know, one building with hundreds or possibly even thousands of other people that are extremely at risk and old and usually compromised health wise with many comorbidities. Like that's not going to go well. Of course, that's common sense. It should be at least. And that's what happened in many different states. You had a lot of issues with that. And a lot of the numbers at one point in time, it was over 50% of the fatalities came out of nursing homes and care facilities. And so this was a really big deal when you're looking, especially when we're looking at the death numbers or the fatality numbers, morbidity numbers, however you want to say it. Um, When those were coming out and those were the top headline news, that's where a lot of that was coming from. And it looked really bad. And I'm not going to say that it wasn't bad. There were still plenty of people that were having very bad outcomes that were dying. And, you know, this is horrible stuff. And I'm not going to pretend like it isn't. But it it is a little overblown when you look at how and why the stats were what they were. Now, this would lead pretty much directly into preventative measures. And I will reiterate what I had said last time, that if you supplement with things like vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc and other things similar to this, elderberry maybe, uh, lots of options here where you can naturally boost your own immune system through diet and exercise and supplementation. These are things that can put your body in a position where it can probably fight off a virus like this, or at least greatly improve your body's ability to fight this off and improve your outcomes, this kind of thing. And there are plenty of statistics to show that this is the case, uh, specifically with vitamin D levels. That's one that has a lot of research to back that up and studies specifically on that that show that that is the case. And so that that would be my stance if I had to give a recommendation on what do you do? Well, it's you work on yourself and boosting your own immune system so that if and when you come in contact with this, you either will be able to fight it off or you'll suffer a lot less than you would have. Your symptoms will be much milder than they would have been. And that will really help you out and help the others around you, especially if you fight it off and you build immunity and you're not passing it along to somebody else. That would be a great thing to do. Apparently, the numbers are such that the, uh, at least my impression, is that the severity of your contagiousness is roughly in correlation with the severity of your symptoms. So if you're very symptomatic, you're very sick, you don't feel well at all, you're probably shedding more of the virus and you're probably more contagious than someone who is asymptomatic and not showing many symptoms. They're probably not very contagious. And again, that's not to say that they aren't contagious at all. And it's not to say that anybody that comes into contact with someone that's really sick is going to get sick. That's not really the way it is. That's not the way science is. It is not necessarily cut and dry. Now, people do want to pretend like science is cut and dry. And if you question any of the mainstream narrative, then you are unscientific. You're anti-science. And yeah, you're a flat earther and we shouldn't listen to you. But the truth is that that is not the truth. And so that would bring us to something like masks. Uh, What benefit do masks pose? What are some of the questions involved with that? Well, The main thing is that 
the particles of the virus are small enough that they can get through masks, even the N95 masks. And so wearing it definitely does not prevent it. It even says so on the box when you buy it. If you buy some that have been produced recently, it'll actually say that it doesn't prevent COVID-19. You can look that up on different product websites and from people like OSHA, who have statements posted that say the same thing, that masks will not prevent viruses from getting through. And so it it could be, and it probably is, that if you are wearing anything in front of your face, that it could block something from coming in. Mainly, uh, the way they have been wording it would be droplets. It's the droplets that come in. And so, yes, if you have some droplets floating through the air and they hit your mask, they'll probably stop on your mask. Now, the problem is that if the mask is does not have small enough netting, or I don't know how to word that, but if it is such that the virus particles are smaller than the fabric of the mask, then that virus can still get in. So even though it's stopped on the outside, if you continue breathing and breathing through that and sucking that through, you'll suck it right in. That's not good. And so theoretically, if you want very good protection from the virus, what you would need to do would be to switch out your mask every time you come in contact with the virus. The problem is that you never know when you have come in contact with the virus. And so if you really want to be careful, you would be switching it out every time you potentially came in contact, which would be at a minimum every time you walked by somebody or were in the same vicinity as somebody and might have droplets floating around in the air, which is very unrealistic and uh, probably not actually going to work very well. And so I would say that without a doubt, I am sure that wearing something in front of your mouth and nose is more beneficial than not doing so. But the actual uh, percentage of gained beneficiality is probably fairly small. If you actually look into the research, such as studies by the CDC, they went back and looked at, I don't remember how many, it was 10 or more randomized trials where they looked at personal protection equipment and how that basically the effectiveness of that in similar situations dealing with the spread of viruses and how that protected people. And the results were that they could not prove statistically that it changed the outcome for anyone. And so there was no statistical difference in the spread of the virus through things like wearing masks. And this was randomized trials, many different randomized trials in many different settings in many different countries. And so this is a fairly good study to pull all these different studies together and look at that and see what that shows. And it basically showed that it doesn't really make a statistical difference. Now, there are some controlled studies that have shown that it does make a difference to wear a mask and that does definitely stop things and stop the spread. However, when you look at the randomized trials, so far as I can tell so far, and I have looked for them very deeply, I have not found any that can show scientifically that wearing a mask does stop the spread of this virus or any similar virus. I can't find any research to back that up. Now, uh, obviously, you could say just common sense, wearing something in front of your face is better than not. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. But if we're looking at the science, and that's what we are wanting to base our opinions on and base our arguments on, that is not something that is scientifically backed up through independent peer-reviewed randomized trials. So why are they being mandated? Well, it's either just as a precaution, as a preventative measure, or it's something that is more political in nature. 
either way, it is not something that is strictly based on science. And so uh, I would say the mask issue is not a scientific issue, so to say, based on more the definition of science and looking at the scientific method and testing your hypothesis and all this kind of stuff. That's really not what it is. So I wouldn't say that I'm an anti-masker, so to say, but I am also not necessarily supportive of the mandates for that. And so that's kind of where I lie. Now, getting back to the idea of masks and stopping the spread and preventative measures, the biggest place that I am seeing this play out is with children and schools. That has been a very big deal. A lot of schools are mandating masks. They're doing contact tracing. They've got dividers up in between desks, plexiglass. They're not allowed to eat lunch together in the same room. They have to walk one way down the hallway and another way back. It's all pretty... Uh, pretty dystopian, really. And I've been in the schools and seen this, and it's uh, kind of crazy, really sad, actually. But that's what's going on. And to me, if you look at the fatality numbers and hospitalization rates and things like this for children, and you compare that to the measures that are taken with children, it just, again, it doesn't really add up, doesn't really make sense. If this is not more dangerous to children and there have not been more hospitalizations or fatalities with children in that age group than with influenza, the regular flu, then either we have been seriously downplaying and we have just really dropped the ball on flu season every year for all of modern history, or we are totally and completely overreacting to the COVID-19 pandemic in relation to this age range at least. Now, last time I had done a lot of research on it, I admit it was probably two months ago, so it could be out of date. I don't know, things change so quickly, but as of that time when COVID had been around for a few months at least, I think it had been around four or five months by that time, there had been no recorded cases of a child passing along the virus to an adult. No confirmed recorded cases of that happening. That doesn't mean that it hadn't happened. That doesn't mean that it can't happen. It just means that, if anything, it is probably very rare for that to happen. The same thing was said of asymptomatic carriers. That was always the worry that, oh, well, you know, these people might be walking around with the virus and not even know it and then pass it along to somebody and that somebody could be somebody at a high risk and you know it's very bad we don't want this to happen and that was actually one of the main reasons for wearing masks was that you never know if someone is a carrier therefore you mask everybody and that lowers the chances for everyone because the main thing with masks if you think back to what i said earlier it doesn't necessarily prevent the virus particles from coming in as you breathe it in but it can pretty effectively stop the droplets coming out if it is worn by someone who is sick. So someone who is sick sneezes into a mask, that's a really big difference than sneezing out into the open. Now, in theory, that person should always be sneezing into their shirt or into their arm or something like this. And again, if you pull up your shirt over your nose and sneeze, well, there you go. You had a cloth mask on when you sneezed. But uh, yeah, of course, that's too much common sense. But the point is that the masks were more about preventing the spread from sick people and particularly sick people that were asymptomatic and that was a worry of them spreading it. Well, then it comes out that asymptomatic carriers are not likely to spread. Their contagion level is very low. And uh, you would think that that might impact the thought of why everybody wears a mask in public. But uh, no, that didn't really have much of an impact. And so that's interesting as well. But going back to the children, if kids are generally 
safe from the virus. There are very few percentage-wise cases of it going poorly for children. Uh, They are also less likely to catch it. They're less likely to spread it. They are very unlikely to spread it to someone uh, back at home, like an older person, a grandparent, or a parent. Then why are we treating them this way and setting up schools this way? Uh, It just, again, it doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And so there are some problems there. At a bare minimum, hey, get a group of kids together and you have a quarantine circle, so to say. And so you pair up 20 kids together. They work with each other all year round, but they don't have to wear masks. They don't have to be paranoid about stuff and wash everything they touch and all this kind of thing. You just have a teacher and a group of kids and they're the only ones in contact with each other. And then contact tracing is super easy. If someone gets it in that group, then that whole quarantine circle stays home. And that solves that. And so there are, you know, I just thought of that just off the top of my head just then. But there, there are a million different ways of treating this in a way that would probably have a lot less negative effects on children and would probably greatly improve their education and their um, social experience and development. But it doesn't seem like these are being taken into effect. And so instead, it seems like we are treating this in a way that lacks things like common sense and um, effectiveness and efficiency and these kinds of things, Uh, pretty much like any state response or state program. That's just the way it is. But unfortunately, it's affecting children. And if you're negatively affecting children psychologically or physically and treating them in a way that is harmful, especially psychologically, then that would be considered child abuse. If a parent does this, that's that's child abuse. And if someone else does this, then the parent can sue on grounds of child abuse. And if the state does this, then it is... Uh, safety? I, I don't know. Apparently not child abuse. So it's really interesting. If, if the science doesn't back up what they're doing, and you can prove that it's having a negative psychological effect without a correlating positive measure of uh, improved safety levels and health levels, then that would be questionable uh, at a minimum. And so there are some issues there. That's one of the big things that I have had a problem with personally that I strongly disagree with and that I think is going to have a very negative effect on society and culture in the future, having this generation of children growing up in this. And it is just... I don't think good at all. It's interesting that one of the main arguments against homeschooling has always been, well, you know, the kids need to get socialized. And, you know, most people haven't heard of things like co-ops and different things like this. I didn't know about them either before I looked into homeschooling and was educated in that area. But that is a common question. It's, well, how are your kids going to, you know, socialize with other kids and get to know other kids and know how to interact with people? You know, how are they going to do this? Well, now we're just creating that in the public school system, and all of a sudden it's okay because the science says so, even though the science doesn't say so. But the people in the white lab coats, the experts, oh, well, actually, a lot of doctors are saying this isn't true. But the experts, it, it's it's the state, it's the CDC, it's you know all these organizations that we trust so much, even though we know that they are corrupt and don't trust them at all. Uh, again, none of it, uh, it, yeah, it's just a little ridiculous in my opinion, and uh, that is my opinion. So I guess what I will do is stop there. That roughly wraps up my uh, my perspective off the top of my head, my opinion on COVID, where we stand, what it is, um, our personal interactions with that, that kind of stuff. And I'll come back next week and talk a little more about 
how it's affecting and shaping society and shifts in society and uh, stuff that uh, to me is a little more interesting. And some of it will touch on things that I'll get into next season. And since it'll be a little while before I get to it, I do want to mention it now. I just listened to a podcast today and uh, I was actually kind of let down, but also kind of excited about it. It was uh, Freeman Beyond the Wall. If you remember Pete Quinones, who came on the show and I did an interview with, the very first interview for season two. But I enjoy his show. I listen to his show a lot. I uh, personally, I, I don't click with his personality, I guess, as much, but I really like especially the people that he has on. The conversations are really interesting to me. I find that a lot of the episodes he puts out are extremely good and on point, and so uh, I really enjoy it, very much so. And one of the recent ones, he had a guy, Vin Armani, on the show, and I've heard him before. I've heard other interviews with him. He's been on Freeman Beyond the Wall multiple times before, but he was talking about the ages of man and how we've gone through these different ages and the bronze age and the Iron Age and the different ages of industrialization. And uh, on a side note, I was listening to the Corbett Report. It's another one of my favorites. I listened to pretty much everything he puts out. And he did one where he was actually being interviewed by Pete Quinones of Free Man Beyond the Wall. And I think it was on the same feed. I think that was published as a Free Man Beyond the Wall episode, if I remember right. But both of these I listened to today. And Corbett was talking about the first, the second, the third, and the fourth potential industrial revolution and what those look like. And uh, it kind of fit with this same theme of the ages of man and how we have these major shifts in society and how things work. And that's actually what I am already planning on doing in season three and already have written out for a book and saved on my computer where I talk about the ages of man and how we're in the middle of this transition age. Then I hear Ven Armani talk about the transition period that we're in right now. And yeah, it's kind of just like, I wish I would have had that out and finished and published before all this happened because the, yeah, it fits so well. And I don't really want to uh, be kind of late on that train. It's unfortunate in a way that a lot of other people are starting to talk about these things. And like, I've already finished out these ideas. I just haven't gotten them published and polished. And so um, it's in a way kind of exciting to get the confirmation and the affirmation that other people are seeing similar things and making some similar comparisons. It's just a little disappointing that I wasn't able to get out in front of that and publish the things that I've been working on for months that are directly related to all this stuff. And so again, we'll see. I'll bring up a little bit about that in the next episode and talk about more of those broader concepts and how society is changing, some shifts in the system. And uh, I'll try to touch on angles that I did not touch on in the previous uh, miniseries, so to say, in the middle of season two, where I talked about COVID. Um, and I'll try to shift towards some other things. And bare minimum, it'll be updated versions of what I had mentioned before. But since I'm no longer trying to track the Reformation parallel, I can kind of branch out a little further and should be some different and new original content, so to say. And maybe I'll try to get a little bit of that content out that I already have on my computer written out for my book that I just haven't gotten out there yet. And so that'll be nice for me to be able to get that out a little bit. So that's the plan for next episode. And that'll hopefully, at least the plan is that'll wrap up the COVID update conversation. And then I'll get into some other things where I'll give my perspectives on probably investing and in cryptocurrency, gold, these types of things. Um, that's at least my rough plan to do next. 
So with that, I can just wrap things up and say thank you very much for listening and supporting the show in every way, especially those who are giving money through Patreon. That is greatly appreciated. If anybody has given money in the form of a cryptocurrency donation, I do not know about that. I, I'm sure I got it if you use the address that I have posted in the show notes. And thank you very much if anyone has done so, but no one has let me know that they have done so and I have not at least noticed any donations. And so if anybody has or will, uh, let me know. Make sure that I do know about that. That way, if you want any perks or if I can just at least say thank you, then that gives me the opportunity to do so. Otherwise, I don't know. And if that's your point, then hey, that's cool. If you just want to anonymously support in some way that way, then hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I have no problems with that. But I also would like to say thank you if I could and also make sure you get any perks if you so desire. I guess another random thing for me to add in here at the end is that the intro that I'm playing for this little mini series is a little long. So I apologize if it's a little redundant and that's too long for you. I know in general, it's way too long for an intro. It's over a minute long, but I really liked how all those clips and quotes kind of blend together, mostly from different presidents through the ages, as well as um, some other random ones. And it works really well. My thought was to build something out that would lead into the idea of a technocracy. And so you hear the ideas build of the relationship between the individual and the state of big tech companies, of how they're incorporated and you have this uh, group of scientists, the scientific elite that, you know, there's this danger of them taking over the world or basically taking over the government, so to say, and that you have experts that are running things and we need a new system of governance and all of these ideas kind of build on each other through these quotes and uh, it should lead one to think, at least one who has listened to this podcast or others like it, that, hey, you know, the technocracy is the culmination of all this stuff. And so I thought that was kind of cool. But again, since it's so long, I'll play it and I'll use that for this little mini series, these uh, episodes that I do before getting into season three. And then I will change that. Don't worry, that's not permanent. But I just thought it was really cool. And so that's what I'm using. And that's what I'm going to play for this uh, series of episodes here in between in the in-between times. And then we'll get back to a more normal length intro and we can get back to doing a more structured season as well. So if you have any more requests or opinions or feedback or anything whatsoever, please feel free to email me, ourfoundations at protonmail.com and or send me a message on Twitter or a tweet with me tagged in it. And thank you very much for those of you who have been tagging me in tweets. Uh, The Libertarian Brewer, I believe it is, has uh, definitely tagged me in a few and mentioned my show to some people. And I really appreciate that. I think it was very fitting. There were a few he tagged me in that were uh, very fitting for the questions being asked by other random people at least me they're very random but uh, thank you at least for recommending the show to other people and anyone else who is spreading via word of mouth thank you very much and with that i'm out peace this has been another episode of our foundation's podcast thank you for listening Goodbye. Yeah, thank you.